You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit lonocoffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 and receive a discount. And we're sponsored by Dizzy Pig Barbecue. Receive a 20% discount on their outstanding spices by using the coupon KIME when you order. And that's K-E-I-M. I hope you knew that. Today, I'm joined by Bryson Spinner, a former NFL QB who has worked closely with Dwayne Haskins for a long time and was key in helping his development this offseason. Spinner provided one story in particular that summed up Haskins' offseason and the work he put in. I think you'll like it. And ESPN Eagles reporter Tim McManus joins me as we start going around the NFC East. We talk about the Eagles, of course, and get some outside opinions on Washington. Don't forget, you can read me on ESPN.com. I have a story on the site currently with rookie Keith Ismail detailing his drive across the country to reach training camp. And soon, I'll have a story discussing what Washington can do to improve its culture. And now, here's my conversation with Bryson Spinner detailing Dwayne Haskins' offseason. What did he hear from Haskins early on that told him he was ready for something more? Now I'm joined by somebody not going to step on the field for Washington season, but he's going to have an impact on this year because of his work with Dwayne Haskins. That's Bryson Spinner, former college quarterback, spent time with four organizations in the NFL, NFL Europe, indoor, indoor football league, now is making a big name as a quarterback coach. And uh, Bryson, first of all, you, you've been working with Dwayne since what, his sophomore year in high school? Well, actually, since he was about uh, eighth grade, first time I met him was the eighth grader. At a oh, okay, that's true. okay. I had a chance to work with him there, and then subsequently, a year later, when he uh, moved into the DMV area, I worked with him. I started working with him heavily as a sophomore in high school. Yes. Did Did he approach you about that, or did you? How did that come about? So it just so happened that uh, you know, I was at the camp at USA Football when uh, fifteen hundred U camp, I believe it was. And um, he was just one of the quarterbacks there, and I was one of the coaches there coaching another team. And I seen a kid throw the ball, and I was like, that ball spinning a little bit differently for for a youngster. And um, so I went over and introduced myself to him, um, just to tell him he was doing a great job, keep up the good work. And then from there, we kind of developed a relationship. And uh, when they moved down to the area, you know, I talked to his dad a little bit, and uh, he gave me a call when they moved down to the area, let him know he was looking for someone to work with his son, and uh, the relationship just kind of grew from there. And what have, what have you noticed in your time working with him? Because you now you have built a relationship with him, so clearly he trusts you, and you've been you've helped him get to a certain point. What have, how have you seen him grow and develop just as a quarterback, as a person? Well, as a as a person, I just seen him. You know, just each and every time I see him, he's just more mature. Um, you know, he's a guy who picks up things, and you know, he tries to tries to emulate the best of all he sees in other people. 
Um, I think he has some great role models with his parents growing up. Um, he has a great family situation. And uh, was just him just maturing as a, as a young man into into a, a grown man right now. Um, still a young man, but you know, grown in the sense that I've, I've known him since he was 13 years old. Right. It's just it's just great to see that he's he's carried those same values as a youngster up until you know it's just matured as he's grown older and older and older. And he has a greater sense of purpose in his faith and you know his family and football. And he also seems he seems to be a pretty loyal person. So again, you know what what you've been doing with him certainly has resonated with him. Um, I want to get to what he's been doing this off season. So, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but I do want to kind of follow the path again. Where have you seen maybe the biggest growth in his game from like even the last couple of years, just in working with him? The biggest growth is definitely his mobility, um, his, his quickness, um, his short area quickness um, within the pocket, um, his ability to, to move suddenly, and to, and to to escape and avoid traffic and, and avoid trouble, um, that that's his biggest biggest improvement in my in my area. He's always been able to throw the ball from the pocket. He's always had a solid platform um, when he's throwing the ball. But this is off platform and his ability to to make sudden movements um, that he's uh, made great strides this offseason. And I, I'm going to get to the, more of that in a minute too. But I did want to ask you because I kind of I talked about your background too. How did that prepare you? Because obviously you have the, you know, you, you have the skill to play at a certain level, but how did your your little journey being in different organizations, having to go overseas and do what you did, how has that helped you work with these guys now? Where did that teach you and how are you able to um, how is that paying off for you in, in your in your current role? So for me, it's just kind of just kind of giving them my point of view, you know, um, from what I experienced, you know, I was kind of a journeyman, you know, camp body of sorts. Um, so I had to, you know, I had the hard road to travel as being an undrafted free agent and just me being in certain situations in different environments, um, just kind of kind of being able to disseminate to different guys. You know, this is what I saw from this guy. This is what I saw from that guy. This, right. this is what I did um, or this is how I should have approached it, which is I, I talked to a lot of my guys about, which is, you know, some of my shortcomings and how can I help these guys, you know, steer clear of some of the things that I that I did. Let's focus on this. Let's work with this because this is what right. I should have did when I was playing. And I kind of, you know, pass that information on that way. And, um, you know, for me, it's, the biggest thing is just being responsible for yourself and, and, and trying to teach these guys and help these guys to coach themselves up. Because um, at the end of the day, that's all they have um, when they're out there on the field. It's, it's you and, and it's your decision making. Um, what are you going to do with that? Um, and if you're not responsible for yourself, you don't have an idea of what's going on. Um, you're not you're not able to adjust on on the fly and make and make you know quick adjustments, um, and, as opposed to you know is as we say just coaching yourself through the situation. If you don't have the, have those skills and that skill set, then you're going to struggle, and especially at this level. And you know, and obviously you're gonna you would have been exposed to certain coaches, certain players that, and you realize like you can work as hard as you want, and it still may not be good enough at some level. Who are some of the players and coaches that maybe you like to use or that you really learn from that you like to use either as examples or things that maybe they that you learn from them? Um, my, my biggest guy, you know, West Coast. I'm West Coast, kind of grew up in the West Coast system when I got to college, when I got to UVA. Um, one of the biggest influences in me is Coach Bill Musgrave, who is a, okay. a heavy uh, NFL coach. He was a now, I believe, he's right. office coordinator at Cal, at Cal Berkeley. Um, but he's one of the guys that, you know, kind of, when I got when he came into UVA, he kind of inherited me as the quarterback. When he came in, he kind of showed me a different way of thinking um, about about approaching offense and, uh, and approaching schemes, and then finding a different way to work. And then you know I, I ended up actually transferring, and then I still I still maintain that relationship with Bill 
th throughout my pro career because he, you know, he was with Jacksonville and I had the opportunity to go down there with him. And, you know, just kind of just being that being that quarterback room with him and kind of pick pick his brain, not necessarily in a conversational piece because I'm more of a quiet internal guy, but just right. kind of just being being visual and looking back from afar and kind of just trying to understand his approach and, and how he went through things because himself, like he backed up John Elway for years. Right. Um, so he kind of, you know, kind of understood or kind of knew the role that I was going to be having to approach to attack the dreams that I have for myself. Whereas, you know, I was the man going all the way up to college. And then once I got to college, you know, there's some competition. Right. You know, everyone's the man. And then going to the next level where you're not drafted, you know, it's even harder, you know, and just, you know, not really being, you know, a guy that's really looked to do anything is, is, is a big change, um, you know, coming from a situation where, you know, everyone's looking at, at you as the man. Um, so, you know, I kind of right. take my experiences as, 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 developing as a quarterback who kind of took the long road and the hard road. And sometimes I took the hard road and it didn't need to be taken, um, you know, from the decisions I made. Um, so I just trying to, you know, take my experiences and kind of, you know, put it forth to the guys and you know, that I work with. And, you know, hopefully they'll take something that, you know, working for me that whether on the field or off the field, that they'll be able to carry with them throughout the rest of their life. Let's get to Dwayne now. This offseason, and you and I have talked a couple of times throughout the offseason, what what were your what were your early conversations like with him this offseason? Did you notice a desire to do more to change because he's clearly transformed himself with his body, especially? Right. I was I wanted to necessarily say a desire to do more because Dwayne has always been a, a hard worker and a grinder when, when right. it comes to working. Right. I would think it was a more desire in the mentality of what he wanted to do differently. Okay. As, a, as opposed to, you know, doing more is what he wanted to do differently as far as, you know, changing his body and, you know, kind of of sorts, you know, adding a new weapon to his game, which is, you know, more of a, you know, mobility factor. Um, so he came in, you know, this, this January with, you know, the group of guys that we work with. And, you know, normally, you know, we kind of have an idea and a plan laid out for him of, you know, things that we saw previously or things, deficiencies that we think he should be working on. Well, this year it was, it was a little bit different. Like he came in with the plan of, okay, this is what I want to do. Right. This is what we're going to be working on this offseason and let's attack it this way. And um, he put together the plan and, you know, kind of put guys in the position that he wanted them to be in as far as executing that plan. And uh, we, we got the plan in motion, and I think we executed pretty well up to this point. And when he comes in with a plan like that, what are you thinking? I'm thinking, wow, okay, this is different. This, this is another factor. This is another, this is another stage of maturity that, you know, we haven't seen that we've been waiting to see. And, um, you know, and it's only going to get better from here, in my opinion, you know, just – the way he's grown and his ability to to take things in and then kind of apply them to what he's trying to get done. Um, you know, he's special that way. And, you know, it's funny because I go back to the, you talked about the hard work and, you know, I wrote a big story for ESPN last before the draft where I talked to you and a few other people about the journey he traveled and the hard work he had put in. And so, you know, but I also thought being around him last year, that I thought he had to learn, and I think you may have either you have talked about this or Quincy Avery, but he needed to learn how to work at an NFL level, and it's and it is different. And it wasn't, I didn't consider that a knock. I just think it had like you talked about the maturation. Do you think that was part of it? Absolutely. Yeah, I think we talked we touched on this a little bit um, in our previous conversations. Yeah. Whereas you know, the locker room's different when you're in college. You know, everyone is doing the same thing. You know, you're all generally around the same age and you're all kind of you go into class, you go, you go to practice, you know, you have games on Saturdays. Whereas when you walk into the NFL locker room, 
you know, you got 53 men doing 53 different things possibly, you know, right. you know, different stages of life. Some guys are young, some guys are older, some kids, some guys have families, you know, some guys, you know, carry their off the field lives a certain way. Some guys carry it off the field life a different way, but it's just being able to, you know, relate to all those guys at the end of the day and let them know that you have their best interests at heart and you're all towards the same goal, which is, you know, putting a solid product together and winning games. So give people an idea of what, the work that Dwayne put in because how many days a week were you working with him and you know throughout this whole period and then how many times per day early, early on so like he would have a couple different phases um so he would do at least two at least two a day sometimes three days um two a days he would normally get his uh workouts or listen earlier in the morning um say like six seven eight a.m depending on you know what he wanted to get done that day and then uh we generally would get together around you know nine or ten um and have a throwing session after that for about an hour and a half, two hours. And we normally do that uh, throwing session about three times a week, whereas he would lift uh, another four times a week. And then he would obviously on his off days, he would do running. Um, so it, it was kind of a, a day where there was a seven day grind um, where each day was something designated. There's something specifically designated for that day, um, whether it be a lift, whether it be a throwing session. And on the rest days, it was kind of a conditioning, you know, recovery type day. Um, and he kind of attacked it that way. Obviously, we took breaks, you know, you know, during that those right. phases. And there were times he would he would travel to go see Quincy and work out with other quarterback coaches because those are things that we had, you know, set place and things he had right. planned to do and things that you know he had put into his plan and you know people who you know help him as well, you know. So, um, you know, I think I think he he attacked his plan um, with great urgency and he you know even amongst these you know these difficult conditions you know you know having to run out and find different fields and trying to find different locations where we can work at you know after certain places were closed down um i think we were able to you know adjust and adjust accordingly and, and uh, get the job done so was it was it pretty hard to always find a field um the, in, in the beginning yes um once once the, when the indoor facilities originally shut down um trying to find a field where there wasn't going to be a, a ton of people where it wasn't overcrowded because obviously, you know, in our area, everyone likes to, you know, work as we live in a workout. Everyone sure. likes to work out outside. Um, and with the restrictions that were being, you know, on demand. So we, we couldn't, we couldn't, you know, have the numbers that we would generally have. And at the beginning it was very, very difficult. Um, but luckily, you know, we, we ran into a, a couple of people who were, were willing to uh, let us work and operate at, at a private spot. We went, didn't have to worry about, you know, getting an actual location and finding space. And we were actually to get into a groove and, uh, you know, get some work done. Were you work still working out with him in the past monthly, you know, in this July? Were you still doing stuff with him? Yeah. Yeah, we're we're working out all the way up to a couple of days ago. So when when you talk about the quickness, how much quicker is he? Give me give me some example, either examples or just you know just put in order how how much quicker is he? Because we've seen we've seen the transformation of the body. I mean, he looks really good. How much quicker right. is he? So I really can't put can't put a time on it because we didn't time anything. But it, right, but it's, it's it's a notable it's a noticeable difference in his burst when he when he's taken off and he decides to go. Because um, we did a lot of a lot of reps where. You know, there would be situations where the receiver had fallen down or, or the play had broken down and then he had to take off. Um, so so we work on change of, change of direction, a lot of burst. Um, so I, I would say, like, there's, there's going to be a noticeable difference um, when, when okay. he decides to take off and run. I, I think he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna look a lot more comfortable. Yeah, and I think that's, a, you know, because he's always been, you know, in the second part of his year at Ohio State. And then as he got more comfortable here last year, 
he would incorporate that more. But if he's able to do it more, what does that what does him being able to do that? How much will that add to his game and just how, how can it help him even just in the pocket as a passer? Uh, it just allows him to 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 make the throws that he ordinarily the, an ordinary, ordinarily wouldn't be able to make. Um, it allows him to, you know, give himself a little bit more time to decipher what's going on downfield and to, to make a decision about what to do with the ball. Um, it's it's going to allow him to, you know, to be a more complete, you know, dynamic football player. Um, you're not going to just be able to say, let, let's, let's keep him, let's, let's keep him in the pocket and, you know, or let's make him flush out this way or flush out that way. You know, there's going to be, you know, it's, you know, you know, in this league there each year, you got to, you know, add new, new repertoire, new, new facet to your game. Right. Because, you know, they, they figure out quickly year to year, you know, guys are too smart guys get paid too much and, you know, is what they love to do. So they're, they're not going to let you just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and, and defeat you with it. They're going to they're shut it down and make you do something different. And before he got the playbook from Washington's coaches, how were you guys, and again, we've talked about this, but how were you guys simulating the Carolina playbook or at least trying to get ahead so you could be in, so he could be in better position when he did get that playbook? Yeah, so just watching, you know, previous Carolina film from last year and, and kind of just, you know, picking up on, you know, their route combinations and see what routes they like to run in different situations and uh, which, which were, were their favorite concepts and stuff like that and just trying to go out there on the field and mimic them. Um, you know, the route tree is the route tree. Um, you know, you can write so, so many routes in this league. Obviously, you know, they're, they're you know, special routes and, and different schemes that are created every single year. But the basic route tree is the basic route tree. So we just wanted to get down the basics first because that's what you have to start with at, at any offense. And then he got he gets the playbook. So where do you feel? Because we haven't seen him on the field at all running anything with this offense. And it's it's hard if you're, you know, to, to, to know where he's really at. You know, you have a good idea where he's at. Where do you feel he's at with this playbook just based on your, you know, coaching him, working with him? Uh, I think he's very comfortable with it. Um, I, th I think the verbiage, the new verbiage with the playbook is something that, you know, he's heard before. Um, I think some of the terminology is familiar with him um, from previous, not last year's offense, but previous offenses that he's been in um, throughout okay. his playing career. Um, so it's something that, you know, I think he'll be able to uh, assimilate easily and more quickly than it was last year where, you know, coming with the West Coast where, you know, the verbiage is a ton coming, you know, coming from an offense that doesn't huddle at Ohio State to now you huddle right. every single play, having to, you know, spit out a 21-play word, uh, a 21-word play is is, is kind of difficult for a young yeah, it um, is. initially. Um, where, whereas this year he's he's had that experience from last year, so obviously he's picked up on it and and understand okay this is how i need to study when it comes to learning something new at this type of level and i uh, kind of applied that this year with getting the carolina playbook with the carolina or carolina playbook with the new washington playbook which right. is from carolina scott turner's playbook right um well some of the verbs happen to be similar and you know that was something that he was you know kind of excited about and, and and very encouraged with because it's you know something that you know he kind of knows and where he hears uh, a certain concept or certain things put together, he knows it already, and he doesn't really have to think about it too much. And that's a good sign for him. And what are, like, are there one or two things, because he got to play last year and that experience, because that initially when they drafted him, the plan was not to play him because they knew they felt like it would take him a little bit of time because he didn't have a lot of experience in college. Then the season goes haywire, so you, you're going to play him. You have to because he did play. What are maybe one or two things that when you talk to him, you can tell 
that he's just sharper with this or smarter with this or just better here because he did play. I think it's just the speed and what's expected of him. Okay. Um, that the week to week in and out, um, what's expected of him week to week as far as preparation and you know getting his guys ready and having you know the the other ten guys in the huddle look at him with okay, my guy's ready. Um, he he he's calm, he's collected, and uh, he understands what needs to get done to execute this play. Um, so I think it's just it's just a, a confidence about him um, that that he got from his experience last year that is really going to help him. You know, just just getting off this year with with the conditions that are going on right now, like just unexpected. Right. It's kind of similar to how he started off last year, like just getting thrown in the game right. in the middle of the season, not really, not really expecting it, and then it happening again, and then things kind of go haywire. And then kind of bouncing back, getting, getting adjusted to it, getting your feet grounded, and then kind of attacking and adjusting from there. It has not been an easy first two years <laughs> for him here. I mean, that's – but, you know, but you can learn something about yourself. And you can – you know, he certainly – the one thing that impressed me too this offseason, Bryson, is that he he went back and for – you know, well, at this point it was called redscenes.com, but for the team website and wrote about his first year. And he never mentioned anything other than – this is what my experience was in the field. This is what I need to do. And I kind of, I thought it was like a very mature approach. Like he was able to put whatever, the, whatever controversy, whatever to the side. Is that how it was? Like, did he, did, did you ever hear him talk about that? Did he ever like say, man, you know, they didn't help me here. They didn't do this. Or did you, did you, or does he more just like, I'm going to look forward. This is what I need to do. Yeah. He, he's more of a, 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 let me look to within myself and figure out what I can do to change the situation type of guy. Um, not really looking to pass the buck, although there may be circumstances outside of your control that may affect what you do and how sure. you do things. At the end of the day, people only really look at what you did about it, um, how you handled it and, and, and the outcome and the results. So he's just looking to himself to try to figure out the best way to, to navigate those situations and, and now he, I feel like he has a better understanding of, you know, better equipped, you know, mentally of how to, to adjust to certain situations because of how things went down. I just have about two more minutes with you or two more, couple more questions, but do you have a favorite Dwayne Haskins workout story? Was there something you may, it's like that kind of would sum him up for people to say, this is, you know, whether it was something he did in a drill or something that, you know, was he pushing you to do more? Is there some, something that you would, could sum him up? Like that, and, and throughout, you know, even in this off season. In this off season, yeah. Even if something from the off season that, or something that just kind of says, when I, if I think of Dwayne's off season, this is what this is what I think of. It was this day, this phone call, this that, or whatever. So everyone knows about the grind and how hard he's been working, and, that, and like, is, right. is it really for show or anything like that? We'll, we'll talk about the, the the recent trip he just got back from L.A., um, where he's working with Odell and Cam and Deshaun. Right. seeing those guys um three days work and i guess some, he was supposed to come back earlier um that weekend and something had happened with a couple guys scheduled out there so he adjusted his schedule to stay out there to get that extra work in to help those guys and but we had a we had a workout planned for that weekend so it kind of adjusted okay. our schedule um so i'm thinking that we're you know he's going to need a couple of days off when he gets back you know from the flight and just being out there the jet lag and all that stuff so he gets back on a sunday so i'm thinking we normally work on tuesdays and thursdays throughout the week he calls me that 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 night or texts me like that night and was like coach let's go monday 
Like, let, let, let's let's get some work in Monday. And and I'm just like, bro, come on. Like, we need to take it easy. Like, that's a little <laughs> bit too much. Like, like we kind of need to, you know, let, let, let's 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 take Monday off. Let's calm down. Let's let your body recover a little bit from the trip, and then we'll get back to work as like normal on Tuesday. Um, so, and that's what happened. You know, he's just a grinder. He's a guy who if, if, if something happens, one workout, like he's immediately trying to, you know, extend the workout to, to fix what was going on or to, until he feels satisfied about what he was working on to, to, to complete or the next workout that that's what we're working on initially. Right? We're going to, we're going to get that right. And then we're going to move on to the next thing. And, uh, that, that that's awesome. the kind of mentality he has. And the last thing, Bryson, then. Again, this is this uh, this season. You, when you look at it, it's not set up for a guy in his position to go out and start strong. It's just not. I my thing has been like, you know, and plus, like you look at, there's not a lot of proven talent around. Terry's going to be really good. You know, there's some there's some guys that are intriguing, but it's a difficult spot to be in. So my thing with him is people need to have patience and see how he progresses and develops throughout the second year. What are your, though, you worked with him, you've been around him. What are your expectations for him this year? My expectations is for him to go out and play very, very well um, throughout the work that he's put in, um, throughout, you know, the, the guys that he's been hanging around, his teammates, his, his, his core group of receivers that have been with him throughout this offseason. Um, those guys have put in some great work, try to build the chemistry throughout these difficult times. And um, just like any athlete, like you, you, like we expect him to play well. Um, we expect him right. to go well. Um, of course, there are mitigating circumstances that could prohibit that, like, you know, the other team and, you know, the other teams right. being better than, than you are. But, you know, right. going, going into a season, you know, everyone has those lofty goals. That if things go well, if things, you know, bounce the right way and we stay healthy, because um, that's a big a big part of it, you know, just guys right. stay healthy throughout the season. If we stay healthy, especially in NFC East, we give ourselves as good a chance as any, um, you know, to come out this division. And then once you get into playoffs, you never know what can happen. Um, right. So I, I think that's, you know, kind of their mindset. Um, I, know, I know that's his mindset, you know, trying to attack the season, you know, to try to, you know, put their best foot forward and, and get themselves into the playoffs. And, you know, who, who knows what can happen once once you go from there. Um, and I think that should be any team's goal. Um, Absolutely. Um, obviously, realistically, there you know there, there are things that are going to happen that's going to let you know early on whether or not those are realistic goals or not. Um, but that's how you got to attack the offseason as if you know we're going we're going to win this championship. The, the one thing that we all play for. Um, if you're not if you're not you know training the offseason with with that goal in mind, then what are we doing? Right. And I like I said, I think. Because of his offseason, I'm I'm as I want to see him. I'm as intrigued to see him as anybody on this roster because of what he means to this team's future. And I, you know, we saw what he did at Ohio State when he was at a certain point, and he seems to be again working the way you said, the way he's been working. It all translates to it should translate to success at some point. I think I try to temper fans' expectations a little bit because you know how they get. If he doesn't say why well, he thought he was working all this offseason, the Eagles picked him off, or they did this. It's a 16-game season, but it's like if he's improving, if he's doing well in the second half of the year, whatever they do in the first half, you know, then you're going to feel really good about where there's not just he, but where the franchise is then headed. And you know, but it seems like you know, I he put out a video the other day from his Ohio State stuff, and like I see the confidence that he had there, and I started seeing it last year, so I, I'm really curious to see that part of his game when when they get back on the field as well. So, Bryson, listen, I appreciate you joining me. I love your insight. And I think, you know, it's nice to talk to people who are working behind the scenes to help 
these players because, you know, Dwayne's putting the work on his own. He's putting in the work, but he's got to have somebody helping him along the way. So I appreciate you joining me and sharing some of that insight. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. After this break, I'll be back with ESPN Eagles reporter Tim McManus. Get his scouting report on the team that most pick is the one to beat in the NFC East. Just know that we taped this before Washington dropped its name. When I grill or cook in the kitchen, I usually like to grind my spices fresh. The ones I make at home just taste better. But I've changed my strategy up a bit to use Dizzy Pig Craft Seasonings. Based in Manassas, Virginia, they grind their spice combinations daily, and it's easy to see why they've built a loyal following over the past 20 years. Dizzy Pig owner Chris Capel has won 15 championships on the Pro Barbecue Tour using only their products. And I've heard from other pitmasters on the Barbecue Tour that insist on Dizzy Pig. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Among the ones I've really enjoyed, the Raging River and Wonderbird. Both are excellent on chicken. The Cow Lick is amazing on beef, and their popular Dizzy Dust is truly all-purpose. But with 27 different blends, there is a seasoning for just about any recipe or cooking technique. Get 20% off your online order shipped in the U.S. if you use the coupon KIND, that's K-E-I-M, at DizzyPigBBQ.com. That's D-I-Z-Z-Y Pig BBQ.com. Now I'm joined by my Eagles counterpart, Tim McManus. I want to talk about the Eagles offseason and, and what kind of separates them from the rest of the division. But, Tim, how would you sum up their offseason? You know, I would say they had a couple of concerns going into the offseason. Number one was addressing the cornerback position. They were as giving as anybody in the, the long ball last year. They needed to shore that up, and, and they ended up trading for Darius Slay and then signing Nickel Roby Coleman, and they really feel like they have improved uh, in that aspect. But at the same time, in order to allocate resources to the cornerback position, they had to make some uh, sacrifices. And one of them ended up being Malcolm Jenkins, the, the team leader, the do-it-all guy for defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz, who never missed any time uh, when he was here in Philadelphia since 2014. So they weakened themselves at the safety position while improving themselves at corner. And the other thing that they needed to address was wide receiver. And I think the jury is still out there, John, because right. you know they didn't uh, they didn't go after anybody in agency. Instead, they used a number of draft picks on wide receiver round, and um, they're just hoping that getting Deshaun Jackson healthy, maybe Alshon Jeffrey, along with these draft picks and the addition of Marquise Goodwin, is going to uh, improve. So those are the two positions they uh, they attacked, and wait and see on one of those. Well, with the receiver, they certainly wanted to add more speed. Is that just because of Wentz's ability to get down the field, or what, what was the rationale behind that? I think general manager Hallie Roseman was driven nuts watching this offense go station last year. A lot of people in the, in the organization, and they, they know how hard that modern bell where if you're having these other teams like Chiefs with these explosive plays, you know, I mean, you just go for a sixth, you're, you're scoring in like two plays, and then you watch the Eagles for the majority of the year, and it's like, man, they just had to play because they didn't have that explosiveness once Deshaun went down and, uh, and made it a priority. They recognized that this is a speed league, that they were lacking it, and so they took a number of bets on speed receivers. Jalen Reger in the first round, 
uh, trading for Marquise Goodwin. They go with John Hightower, Quez Watkins as later round draft picks who both have that dynamic. And they're just hoping that, you know, placing all those bets that they'll hit on a couple of them and be much better off for it. And it was, it's kind of funny because like they did finish strong last year and Wentz is throwing to pretty much nobody's at that position. Where do you feel he's at with everything? And obviously, you know, they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. Uh, this is obviously Carson's team, but where is he at in his development? And what are, what, what are your expectations for him this season? Yeah, I, I have pretty high expectations for Wentz this season because, like you said, he was able to kind of secure his place uh, you know, reestablish his place as a, a top-level quarterback down the stretch last season, taking a bunch of guys that nobody had really heard of and, and been able to rally them to four straight wins to get into the postseason. And so I think that did a decent amount for his standing in the locker room. And now that he has, in theory, Deshaun Jackson back and Alshon Jeffrey back and some better speed-wide receivers to go along with guys like Miles Sanders who really elevated his game last year, you know, that dual tight end, uh, Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. I mean, he's got the weapons around him now. So I fully expect him. And the Jalen Hurts thing is definitely a wrinkle. But I, I definitely expect him to take a step forward this year, kind of get closer to maybe that 2017 version uh, that we saw where he almost won an MVP. Did you like that that Hurts pick? No, uh, I, I wouldn't say I liked it. I, I was surprised by it. And uh, it's it's unprecedented. I mean, if you look at the number of uh, first or second round quarterbacks that have gotten taken within five years of uh, a QB selected number number two overall, there's only three such instances in the history of the NFL. And this is the only instance in which that quarterback was actually cemented as the starter. You know, the right. other ones were Ryan Leaf when he was on his way out, John Elway when he got traded Colts. I mean, so, so this is a very unique, unprecedented situation. And the fear that I have with it is that Wentz just came out of this whole kind of tumultuous roller coaster that wasn't really a fault of his own, but, you know, Nick Foles ends up taking this team to the Super Bowl, creating this weird dynamic in the locker room, right? Where are you supposed to have agents and how are you supposed to live up to what just did while you're reestablishing yourself, while you're coming off of injury? And now, you know, Foles moves out of the picture, Wentz reclaims kind of number one's post, and now you bring in this dynamic. Hurts uh, with the 53rd pick. If Wentz goes down or if Hurts and, and Spots plays really well, then does that recloud the situation? Right. So I understand what the most I think that he could end up being a really good player and it could be smart in terms of management, whether they end up trading him down the line or whether he's just a really good insurance policy. I understand the move, but I also feel like there's a decent amount of risk that I don't know that I would have subjected my franchise quarterback to. What when you go as as we get closer to training camp here? What would be your maybe couple main concerns about this team? Because listen, we all know everybody looks at this team is still the team to be here. So what are your concerns about the Eagles going into the into the camp? Yeah, there's a couple of them. I mean, number one, you look at the offensive line that's long been a strength of this team. Uh, Jason Peters is still a free agent, which means that former first round pick Andre Dillard, at least right now, is projected to be the starting left tackle. That's Carson Wentz's side. You know, right. there's people in the building that aren't on Dillard. I mean, that's just a fact. And uh, and yet they could be uh, to an uncertainty 
and Dillard. Maybe Peters ends up coming to the fold later, but right now that's a concern. And then Brandon Brooks, you know, their standout right guard goes right. down with an Achilles tear. So there's there's two question marks over what is normally a certainty at offensive line. I, I would also look at the linebacker position. You know, they have allocated the least amount of resources right. in 2020 uh, to the linebacker position, only $4.5 million of cap. And, uh, and I think that shows and kind of how thin it is. And then defensive end would probably be another one, John, because uh, while Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett are, are solid options as your starters, it's really a bunch of questions in terms of depth. And Jim Schwartz likes to rotate his defensive line. So pair those along with the fact that you lose Malcolm Jenkins, not only uh, your defensive, but your captain. And there's a couple things to at least, uh, you know, have some potential concerns for. What separates do – you, do you view them as – ahead of everybody else in this division? If so, why? One, I have going for coach continuity. Right. And, uh, you, know, you know, this is a, an unprecedented offseason, obviously. Right. And you have everybody else in the NFC going through coaches, which means system changes, which means everybody has to get acclimated. So I would say, especially early, that gives an advantage for the Eagles, where they don't have to go through a lot of that. I mean, they'll have some wrinkles, and yet they have to add in some new pieces right. like any other team does. But I feel like that uh, gives them a leg. And then, you know, we've seen just kind of uh, talent-wise that they've – and coaching-wise that they've been uh, near or top of the pack in, in the division for the last handful of years. And I don't really see a drop-off there. So I think that they're pretty well-positioned as far as the division's concerned. I think, you know, the Cowboys and the Eagles, at least where I'm standing, will be uh, kind of going toe-for-toe uh, toe there for, for the division again. Yeah, and I don't think there's any – like, it'd be hard to go into camp with any other mindset no matter who you cover because there was a, de there was a definite gap at the end of last year and there's so much uncertainty with the team I cover and, and with the Giants. But from an outsider's perspective, how do you view the Redskins at this point? I feel like they're more formidable than they have been. I think, uh, number one, you know, if you can get a patch going – and if you have a, a stout defensive line, that's, that's a really big key right. being a successful organization. And, and they've been doing their work on that, man. And they yeah. have uh, big expectations for Chase Young. And I think that that's going to be – and I, you know, I'm, I'm already picturing that Andre Dillard-Chase Young matchup and, and don't see it going particularly well for Dillard. And so <laughs> I think that's going to be the type of thing that, that uh, you know, coaches are going to be looking at being like, man, you know, the, uh, bring a little something to the – when you add a, a veteran coach, Vera, uh, you know, who is my respect and I'm sure respect to a lot of people around the league, then you, you see the potential for them to start building something. And so I don't expect them to necessarily be in contention division over this year. I do feel like they're going to be a tougher out on Sundays than they have been in the past. And, and I think that's, I think that's pretty accurate too. And like as a, as an organization, what do you feel sets the Eagles apart? And you talked about coaching continuity, but I think it goes beyond that, too, because it, it is, I'm a believer that organizations really win and, in this case, lose. So as an organization, why do they work so well? I mean, they stick to, uh, to their core philosophies that have served them well. And number one is quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. They invest and they reinvest in that position. And then uh, it goes from the inside out from there. You know, they prioritize offensive and defensive line above everything else. And typically, you know, if, especially on the offensive front, they're about as well positioned as everybody year in and year out. And, you know, that's it's not sexy. It's not flashy, but it's it's so substantively important uh, that and they get that right year after year. And not every team can say the same. 
I think that they have an analytics component that helps guide their decision making right. that maybe is more advanced uh, than, than some other NFL teams that has also really helped them. They have a great, uh, you know, cap structure where they have guys that was started with Joe Banner, Howie Roseman learned from him. They have guys like Jake Rosenberg that have, that have come underneath Roseman since then. And they just have a really, uh, they're really adept at, uh, at finding creative ways to and not be handcuffed financially. And so I think those, along with, uh, you know, strong coaching between right. Andy Reid and Doug Peterson, Chip Kelly, uh, they've, they've done on that department. What, what did they – I don't. did you get much of an impression from what they thought of Haskins late in the year? Did you – did guys give you much insight into that or no? No, I haven't I haven't heard a whole lot on Haskins, to, to be honest with you. I feel like, you know, the majority of people sort of feel like the, uh, you know, the jury's still out there, and I, I think right. the Eagles would probably go with that sentiment. Yeah, and I, and I think that's fair. And he, he finished strong against them, and he got hurt in that game too. But, you know, that but he did finish strong. But, you know – I know how this works. Like after games, you're not always saying, hey, what do you think about Haskins? Because for them, it was about the playoffs. We were all about Haskins' development at that point. So, but I do think it'll be interesting for them and for him, because if he can take a step, you know, then you have a different situation. But the matchup I'm looking forward to the most, Tim, is Darius Slay and Terry McLaurin. I love Darius Slay. And McLaurin, I think if you had to ask him, I think he would say that was the best corner he faced it was the corner that made him work the most. Like he had to change up his game within the game to get some stuff on Slay. What what do you what do you think that he adds to the Eagles? I mean, you talked about it earlier, but just a little bit more. Yeah, from uh from afar, I've always admired his game. I've always thought of him as one of the best cornerbacks in the league. And so I think that he's twenty nine and is not coming off of his best year. I think that he's the best cornerback that uh Jim Schwartz has had at his disposal since coming over to Philly in 2016. And so I think that really just adds an element where not only can he now cover the number one wide receiver and follow him, that's not something we've seen in years in Philadelphia, but also it allows you to play a little bit more press man. I think that Schwartz is going to be able to be more creative in his defensive play calling and really it just alleviates the pressure. Right. Uh, and it's interesting because Slay actually has talked uh, very glowingly about McLaurin. And, and yes. one thing that he said was that he, he caught him off guard. Uh, yep. That when he went against him, like, you know, as, as opposed to some of these other more established wide receivers in a league, those that he's going, you know, toe-to-toe with that. Uh, he's, he's studying every little nuance. Maybe he felt a little bit uh, like he could take the McLaurin matchup for granted a little bit was, was maybe the implication or he, or he, he didn't grind down on him as, as much as he normally does. And McLaurin shocked him. Uh, yeah. McLaurin better of him in, in some circumstances. So I know that he's going to have his full attention uh, this season. It, it is. It'll be a fun matchup to watch. I mean, I really just, again, the game within the game and what Terry talked about to him afterwards and just the chess match that he felt he had to play against him, to me, I find fascinating. Last thing I want to ask you, um, just going back to Jenkins and with the Eagles, the loss of leadership, and you touched on it, how big a deal will that be? Does it, does, was there a drop-off in play? that maybe warranted some of this, um, but will the, how much will that leadership loss be felt in that locker room? From like a 2014 Jenkins to, to present day, is he quite as fast or was there a slight drop off? I guess you can, you can make that case, but I don't think it was anything that warranted, you know, we need to, to move on from this guy. I think that he was still playing at a pretty high level. 
And when you look at the number of his snaps year to year, I mean, five of the six years that he was here, he played 100% of the defensive snaps, while a lot of the defensive secondary kind of crumbled around him due to injuries. And so you're losing that constant and also the constant voice uh, of the organization that, that Jenkins represented. And we've seen a, you know, a decent amount of controversies come and go through the past few years with the Eagles, times where their character has really been tested, and that leadership has been key to keeping them afloat and has led to some late rallies over the last couple of seasons, and now you lose that. So guys like Brandon Graham are going to be called on more. Rodney Mild, you know, his counterpart at safety is starting to step into a greater role, and those guys are, are capable leaders, and you always need to have the next kind of guys come up. But I've been, you know, around here uh, covering the team for, for a decade plus, and I've never seen a leader like Jenkins. I mean, right. he's, he's top-notch in the NFL as far as I'm concerned, and there's no really replicating that. So to kind of, you know, paint it over like it's not a loss, I mean, it's, it, it is. And, uh, you know, how big of a loss, I guess, will be determined by how they fare this season. Tim, I appreciate it. Get back to the beach, man. All right, brother. Always talking to you. All right. After this break, I'll be back with a few thoughts of my own. A couple months ago, I stopped into a store for a sandwich, but it was the smell of the coffee that knocked me over. That's when I fell in love with Lone Oak Coffee. I bought some of their Mexican blend and was happy for the rest of the week. Lone Oak is a small specialty-based coffee roaster company in Winchester, Virginia. They finished ninth in the nation in the U.S. Coffee Roasting Championships in 2017. They have received many awards for their house blend at the world's largest coffee roasting competition. Here's what I love about Lone Oak. They dial in each coffee to fit its best profile, bringing out the natural nuances and highlighting interesting flavors. I'm drinking their Brazilian blend now with a mix of nutty and almond flavors. They have coffees from all over the world. I love their smooth Colombian with hints of cocoa and caramel apple. Go to LoneOakCoffee.com, L-O-N-E-O-A-K, coffee.com. And when you order, use the code COFFEE2020. That's COFFEE2020. You will receive a 5% discount with free shipping on any orders over $25. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Welcome back. Now here are some nuggets of information you need to know. Let's start with the injured guys, two in particular, Alex Smith and Bryce Love. And Alex Smith, of course, was placed on the PUP list as he tries to return from his gruesome leg, broken leg and the subsequent 17 surgeries. It's remarkable that he's even at this point, but while his doctors cleared him for activity, Washington needs to see more before it clears him for football activity. It should be noted. One of his doctors happens to be Robin West, who is Washington's head team physician. And it should also be noted, she's highly, highly respected. But the coaches still need to see more from Smith from his football, and with his football movement. And the key words here, his ability to protect himself. First, they need to see his level of quickness in various agility drills, for example, during and then in individual work and then, you know, get, eventually getting to see it on the field during 11-on-11 sessions. Now, he's not going to be in 11-on-11 until he is cleared for football activity. So those early agility and individual sessions will be key to getting him out to that point. But once you're in 11-on-11, you can gauge his movement in the pocket. And even though he's not going to get hit, you'll be able to see how is he moving to escape a certain situation that will be huge 
There were some people on social media I know who kind of jumped right away to now this team having a quarterback competition if Smith is cleared. I'd slow that train down real fast. There's a difference between being on the field and then being at the same level you were before an injury like this. Also, Smith is a player who relies on his legs. He is not a -a pick-a-team-apart pocket passer. If he can't use his legs like before, it's going to be difficult for him to have that same level of success. It would be a fantastic ending to Smith's journey to see him out on the field, let alone you know, just even on the sidelines. But there's a long way to go for that to happen. Yes, he can still have an impact even if he's not playing. I know some people kind of mentioned to me or insisted to me that he can have as big an impact on the defense and the linebackers or something like that as his fellow QBs. That's just not accurate, and here's why. He is not an expert at playing linebacker or anything else on D. And if, and it's a big if, he's even running the scout team, and I don't know that he, they would have him do that, but if he is, he can help the entire D with his execution, helping them be sharp, forcing them to be sharp to execute in the, in the daily sessions. That is, a, that is a definite help. Maybe he can help by pointing out how they were giving something away. That will also help. But the reason I say this is that and the reason that he's just not going to have the same impact on there is because he can have a huge impact on both young QBs because of the hours spent in meetings by showing them how he prepares, how he takes notes, what he does during the week. They're, I mean, this, this, these are who they're living with during the, during the season, so that's why he has a big impact. I detail the story with he and Dwayne Haskins and the impact he had on Haskins late, in the, especially in the second half of the year, and, and what Haskins took from him. And he did, he definitely learned a lot. But one thing Smith told me is that, you know, a lot of people credit him for Patrick Holmes, Mahomes' development. He said the difference between, like, last year with Haskins and, the, you know, the, um, a couple of years ago with, with Patrick Mahomes is that Mahomes saw how he prepared. And that, he felt, was a big, big key. Anyway, finally, the, Smith is, the team that Smith is returning to is far different than the one he left. When he came here, this was a more veteran team that had been close to making the playoffs. Not going to go, weren't going to go very far, but they were close to that. They were in that 7-9 win range. This is a young team not set up to contend this season. I think with the young group they have, if, if guys, certain guys hit, especially Dwayne Haskins, then you can look and say, hey, they could be good by the second half of the year and really maybe make a jump in 2021. After the offseason Haskins has had, if he shows what they want in camp, it's insane to have anybody else compete for that or to, to give anybody else a job or to have, to have him not have the job. However, I do agree with the theory that having Smith around will keep Haskins sharp. I think Kyle Allen can do that as well. He definitely knows the offense. But I think with Smith, because of his resume and the respect that people have for him, I think he kind of takes that to a different level. And I think you can tell by some of the comments from Ron Rivera throughout the offseason that they, while they, well, he's going to praise Haskins, he definitely wants to keep him focused on the work he's been doing to get to a certain point. And by mentioning competition with Kyle Allen or, or bringing, you know, having Alex Smith there, I think all of that can accomplish that. And I will say, if you're not handling your business and Smith is healthy, then it provides an easy alternative for coaches. But we still must emphasize the word if. As for Love, the fact that he passed his physical was a good step. A few weeks ago, I would not have predicted that based on what I was hearing, which I relayed to you. I don't know that anything really changed. I do think in this pandemic, it's been harder for some of the organization to get a great feel all the time for where a guy is truly at. But the big key will be whether or not Love shows the traits that made him a star at Stanford. 
as one member of the organization said, if he shows that, that's when he'd be surprised by Love's return, not by the fact that he passed the physical. In other words, there's still work to do here to show that he's at that point. But it was a good step. And if Love can show he's still that guy, it's a big boost to the backfield. When he was healthy, he projected as an every down back with good receiving skills. He has wiggle to his game. I think if he had been healthy, I'd have projected him. I might have projected him over Darius Geis because I think he's a more mature player because of Geis's own injury history. And I think he's a I think he's a, a good fit for what they like. But again, he's not healthy, so you can't do that. And as it is, this backfield is a series of cross fingers. For Adrian Peterson, his age, Antonio Gibson, he's a rookie. Geis is health, loves health. I like I. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to caution in a minute, but I do like the potential of this group quite a bit. I think the versatility can help offset other issues on the offense. Running backs coach Randy Jordan agreed with that thought, and I've explained in the past podcast how that versatility helps. They definitely envision two running back sets with versatile backs, and they can spread the field if the defense is in base, for example, and create mismatches with guys like Gibson and J.D. McKissick, who can run good routes on the outside because of their receiver background. Or if a team goes to nickel, they can motion from empty to one back set and run the ball. If you can employ these looks with any success, it offsets some of what they don't have at other spots, notably tight end. Yes, they're aware that that's far from a finished spot. And again, I go back to Geist too, because Randy Jordan said that last year he provided an appetizer. Now they want the whole thing. And I would agree with that. I think this is a huge, huge year, obviously, for Geist. But he's had the injuries, three injuries in two years. He clearly has the ability. He can be in every down back for them if he can stay healthy. But man, he's never touched the ball more than 10 times in a game. He's still got to prove that he can do that there. They know it, and I hope that, and I think that he knows that as well. Anyway, I used that word potential earlier, and I will say I think we're all tired around here of hearing that word potential. I like this group. It needs to prove itself. There we go. Finally, it's an odd feeling to be sitting at home right now. The body clock screams training camp. I take, But I take this as an extra opportunity to spend time with my family at a time I'm normally gone a lot. For now, we'll be doing Zoom interviews from home until the players ramp up their workouts. And as of now, it sounds like we'll be at camp, I believe, on August 13th. That's tentative with the first pad workouts four days later. That's when we really get to watch, and I'll be looking forward to that. We won't have any in-person interviews for a long time, maybe not at all this season. It'll all be by Zoom or by phone until further notice. As a reporter, this is just a little side, it creates a challenge because it's much harder to develop relationships this way. People wonder why we're in the locker room. I think some people wonder why we're in the locker room at all, given that what they see is this big group session and that's it. But you, that, that's about one minute out of a 50-minute, 45-minute session. It's the many times you're just chatting with guys at their locker that leads to information, not just even about leaks, but perhaps you find out something interesting about a guy that leads to a fun story, or you just get to know their personality. Maybe you get to know more of their background and something that they're interested in that, again, leads to a story. It happens all the time. That's a big part of this entire process. It's all part of building a relationship and trust. By no means am I saying that the current setup is wrong or will be wrong. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I'm just relaying what is temporarily lost in the process. And as a reporter, you just have to work around it and not worry about it. There are far worse situations in the country, so don't complain and just do your job. I do hope they can make this work. I know it'll be quite a challenge. And I know one fear of some players all along was that while they can control the situation at the practice facility, it'll be harder to control guys once they leave. 
What if they go to a bar, get infected, bring it into the building? These are young men with money. They want to go out. But yes, by doing so, they'd risk their futures and their paycheck if they contract the virus by being at a bar, for example. But that remains a concern. Heck, because there is no bubble, someone could do everything right and still catch it at a grocery store from a spouse who had to go to work, from a child who had to go to school, whatever. We're all in that. That's the boat we're all in. Let's hope this works. That's it for this week. A big thanks to our new sponsor, Dizzy Pig, for coming on board. Remember, use the coupon KIME, that's K-E-I-M, and a thanks, as always, to Lone Oak Coffee, promo code COFFEE2020. Thanks also to Bryson Spinner and Tim McManus for joining me. And a special thanks to all of you for listening and for supporting our sponsors. It's definitely appreciated. Talk to you next time.